Thank you guys for being here this morning. And uh, let's go ahead and get started. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 22. The book of Genesis chapter 22. Just a reminder um, for some perhaps that are brand new uh, this morning. So it'll be new information to you. Reminder to everybody else that we are going to be continuing today in our series called Thread. The idea is we're taking all the way from Genesis uh, throughout the entirety of the Old Testament and we're talking about what is the one thread that is connecting all of those narratives together. So we're going to be continuing to dive in week after week after week to some stories, some that are familiar that maybe you remember if you grew up in church, some maybe you've never thought about in that realm before, but this is going to bring us all the way up to Easter Sunday as we talk about the one connecting factor in all of these stories that is Jesus Christ. So we're going to be continuing that here this morning. Um, To start things out, I just want to throw out a statement to you. Um, Trust shows love and love shows trust. I want you to think about that and just let that statement hang there for a second as we're going to be diving into the narrative of Abraham and Isaac and somebody who had to trust God in an incredible way. I want you to think about that. Trust shows love and love shows trust. And this morning, we're going to be diving into this narrative that is so scary in many ways. By way of a reminder, we've mapped out this series in talking about different stories. And we've talked about the upper story up here that is God, who is above space and time, seeing the whole span of eternity, past and forward. He's up here in this upper story. And then we've got the lower story, which is the narrative of scripture that we're diving into any particular Sunday. And then we've got our story over here. What does this mean to me? How do I interact with all of this? And I just want to tell you this morning, in all honesty, the upper story I don't understand. I don't know if you felt that in the last 24 hours, 48 hours, as all the news has come in from what's going on over in Paris. A week ago or so, I don't know if many of you saw this, this pastor in Indiana, his wife was shot in her own home while he was working out and she passed away and reading the blogs of all these different people and crying out to God and pleading with God. Like, I don't understand what's going on up there. I know that you do. I know that you see it. I know your heart is broken and you want our hearts to be broken, but sometimes it's difficult to understand what God's doing and, and where he is at points when some of these tragedies happen. Well, this morning, we want to recognize that, that, that God is in control ultimately. And we want to key in on a phrase that's going to be our main thought for this morning. And that's this, faith rests in God's character and not on our circumstance. Do you see that? True faith rests in the character of God, not the circumstance of man. And that's a big difference because I know for me, I can oftentimes get so caught up in this right here and what's going on, what do I see, what are my circumstances, and I forget that true faith rests in who God is. So let's go ahead and dive in in Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse one, it says this, after these things, 
Okay, after what things? Well, in chapter 20 and chapter 21, it goes on about uh, how, you know, God had promised Abraham a son who would be the one to carry on his name and God would make of Abraham a great people and a great nation and all those incredible covenants and promises. And, and it came true. Sarah conceived and Sarah had a boy and they named him Isaac and he was growing up and everything seemed to be going so well. And then all of a sudden we get to this narrative. Here we go. After these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains uh, of which I will tell you. Can you just imagine the scene in like one giant big collective record scratch at that moment? You know what I mean? Because he's, here's Abraham, he's loving what? life, he's loving his wife, he's got his servants, he's got his stuff, he's got his son Isaac there, he's growing up to be a strapling young man, probably a teenager. We don't really know uh, exactly how old he was. But just imagine the pride in his heart every night when he's laying down by his son's bed, thanking God for him. Yep. This guy's the one. I've waited so long and he's here and I'm so proud of him. I want us to enter into this moment and catch the reality of this moment. Remember what things were like when you first found out that you were pregnant, your wife was pregnant. I was sitting in my office and I'm just doing my thing. All of a sudden, my wife stops by with a, with a gift bag. Honey, what are you doing? Oh, I just want to drop you a little gift bag. Let you know I love you. She was all beaming and cheery. And wow, this is good. Afternoon just got better, right? So I open this thing up. And there's a pair of baby shoes. And I'm like, what? She's like, mm-hmm. I'm like, what? But you remember those moments, right, in the hospital when you finally hear that cry for the first time, it's a boy, or you've got yourself a girl and you're cradling them for the first time and tears are coming down your face and God gave you life. Abraham had that. Imagine Sarah like, honey, something's going on. Imagine the joy in his old man's heart, right? And he, all those games that we played with our kids as they were growing up, you know, bouncing little Isaac on the knee, you know, and like, whoop, 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 you know, peekaboo and everything else. I mean, he's growing up just like any of us grew up. All those special moments, all that love poured out on this, the beloved son. And then all of a sudden, here's what God says. Oh, by the way, Abraham, circle this phrase where Abraham says, here am I. That's going to be important for us. Here am I in verse one. Here am I, God. What do you need here? I'm here. What, 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 what? And then he tells him what to do. And I want you to notice the crescendo of what God says. The scary crescendo. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Oh, oh, that one. Oh, okay. Oh, by the way, whom you love. It's almost like God is like, pouring it on more and more and more. Remember we talked in Genesis about Hebrew poetry and the literary device that's employed where it says the same thing, but it builds on it and it builds on it. That's what you've got right here. Your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I want you to circle that word love right there too. 
That's significant because that is the first time that that word is used in scripture. This feeling, this emotion, this dedication, this commitment, this self-sacrificing, that's it. That one, who you love, yeah, him. Oh, I want you to sacrifice him. It's the most unbelievable thought. It's such a scary command. It's disturbing to us. Well, as we think about this narrative of scripture, there's two key things that we want to focus on. And the first one that goes along with this is this statement right here. God will test our faith. God will test our faith. And so here, the crescendo of all of these years, Abraham and Sarah waiting, laughing when they heard, not really believing, but believing, and God comes through. And now they've had years and years and years of this son. They were probably even having the conversation about it, like, all right, well, Isaac's just about ready. Oh, do you know any awesome families with great, good-looking young ladies that we can, you know, we want to get this thing started. So let's try and find a wife for them probably having those conversations, getting ready to get this whole plan in motion. It's time to start moving along and get these offspring and start to build this nation. And then all of a sudden, sacrificing, testing you and saying, I want what you value the most. Let's think about this for a second. Could it be, we can't get into the mind of God. We don't understand the upper story, right? But could it be, that Abraham and Sarah were taking Isaac and this whole idea and almost holding that up as a God. When you think about it, this is who our hopes are on. This is the dream. This is, he's here. And now we're thinking about this and we're relishing in this and we're enjoying this and we're holding this up in our affections and causing it to take the place perhaps of our affection for God. We see a little bit of evidence in that in the chapter before, right? Because you remember the whole narrative, perhaps, of uh, Abraham and how when Sarah wasn't getting pregnant, he was taking matters into his own hands and he slept with, with Sarah's maidservant, which was part of the culture back then, but still doesn't make it right. And Hagar conceived and had a son. They named him Ishmael. And he was going to also create a great nation. And that's where you've got the Israelites and you've got the Arabs to this day. And so you can see where that whole idea, and now that we've got Isaac, and now, oh yeah, he's up here, and this is where our affections and our thoughts and our values are. Ishmael, Hagar, you know, we don't need you anymore. It says that Sarah had contempt, and they, Abraham ended up sending them away. So could it be that he was holding this up as his highest affection? It's conjecture at this point, but it's an interesting thought. When you talk about God testing our faith, could it be that God wants everything that is of value and that you pour out your affections upon? He wants that worship and deserves that worship himself rather than seeing it pour out on other things. Well, it all of a sudden got real at the end of verse two. God asked him for the thing that he valued the most and he had to make a decision. And I don't know if you've ever been there when God has required of you or asked of you or the situation is such that that you feel like you need to give something that's of incredible value to him, but it can be harrowing. We had an experience 
little over 12 years ago where this idea really came true. Beck and I were uh, trying to be fit. So we decided we're going to get up early in the morning and we're going to do some jogging. And our daughter, Autumn, was about six months old at the time, six or seven months. So we got up early and we got our gear on and, and uh, you know, we had this, the, uh, the, the running stroller out there and everything. It was one of those moments as a parent. Maybe some of you guys have cheated in this way as well. But it's like, all right, well, she's asleep in there. You know, we're going to strap her in when we get her in the thing. We would never go jogging, you know, on bumpy terrain and everything without having her fully strapped in. But she's asleep right now. Let's just hold off. We'll do that in a second. So picked her up in her carrier and brought her down the stairs and went over to the jogging thing. And we're lifting her up to set her in there, to strap her all in and get her all situated when something awful happened. The strap that was hanging straight down that's used, you know, to attach it to the car, um, to the, the car seat was hanging down. It kind of got caught on the wheel and that little thing. And so as Becca lifted her up, it, it caught and it dumped my six-year-old daughter out from about four feet in the air all the way down onto our concrete driveway. And I can remember I was down there. I was, you know, tying my shoe, getting ready to go. And all of a sudden I hear Becca scream and I look up and I see my daughter fall and hit her back and the back of her head right on our driveway. It was the most awful thing that we've ever been through. So of course we both scream, picked her right up. She's, she's crying like we've never heard her cry before. Immediately got in the car, went right to the emergency room. And, and, and while, while we're driving and speeding and weaving and everything else, it's that crisis moment where there's all these voices that are screaming at you. You are such a bad parent. How could you be so stupid? Why didn't you strap her in? How did this happen? So we get there to the emergency room and we rush in. And of course, there's some trainee on the computer I'm not even kidding. It's like eight o'clock in the morning. There was nobody there. So the nurse, head nurse is there. She's like, okay, what's the name? I'm like, her name's Autumn uh, Hines. And she's like, okay, now go skip down, hit the tab and go down to that line. Now type in Autumn, A-U-T, no, no, backspace, backspace. Yeah, okay, over there, uh-huh. Good, now check on that box that says new patient. Okay, good. Now go down here to where the, ad, no, not that address, the other, this, this one. And I'm, we're sitting here holding our screaming daughter and I'm not one to really lose my temper, but I slam my fist down on the counter. I'm like, get us to a doctor now. So then they called security. <laughs> I was about ready to pull that move. You remember, what was that one, what was that one movie with uh, Denzel Washington where he overtakes the hospital with the gun for the heart surgery? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody with me on the movie? Nobody's with me on the movie. Some of you are, don't want to admit it. Okay, so anyway, so we finally get in there and all this, 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 this tension and these tears and calling people and I have to explain to them what happened. Yeah, we dropped our daughter on the concrete, you know? And so she went into the, the CAT scan, into the tunnel, and they did a brain scan and everything. And it came out, and the neurologist came in, and the doctor came in in that moment. And, and they said, here's the, here's the scan. And she, see that big, see that big blotch right there? That's blood that's on her brain right now. And if that, if that doesn't dissipate in a pretty amazing way in the next 12 hours, we're going to have to drill a hole into her, into her skull to alleviate that pressure. And I'll tell you what, you talk about those moments where the record skips 
And all of a sudden the rubber meets the road and all those cutesy little phrases and the baby dedication. And at that moment, oh God, this child's yours. Do you know what? She belongs to you. And all that stuff all of a sudden gets real in a hurry. Because now you're looking at that helpless, innocent infant and not knowing what the future holds. And it's really there. And you're crying and pleading and people are there praying. And you're saying, all right, God, is this child really yours? Well, the next morning, she had to get another, another scan and, and she you know, wouldn't stop fussing and crying and they need to be completely still in there. And so they were going to get one of those paboose torture devices. You know what I'm talking about? Where they strap you down and you can't even move and it's put you in this tunnel. And Becca's like, please let me just, can I go in with her? You know, like I'll just be singing and I'll keep her still. So they let that happen. And so she was okay. And, and, and we got the results back and we had hundreds of people praying and, and the swelling had gone down. Nothing else had to happen. Praise the Lord. But, um, you know, but it's funny because we wonder if there's any residual effects, right? <laughs> because in the next couple of years, like as Autumn was learning how to talk, she's like, my head fall down. I go, boom. We're like, does she remember that? You know? But anyway, it's that moment that says, okay, is this really yours? Does this really belong to you? And that's the ultimate key. When you talk about testing your faith, it comes down to possession and the heart that says, okay, God, I know that you promised me Isaac and I know that my faith is being tested and and I know that you've got something in mind in the upper story, but okay, he's yours. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna follow through. I'm gonna obey because he truly does belong to you. And as we talk about sacrifice this morning, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about all your possessions. I want you to think about your bank account. I want you to think about your children. I want you to think about your house or your apartment, your car, your possessions. If they can be taken away from you or if they can walk away from you, then they never really belonged to you. If we really think about the fact that God was the giver of Isaac and God is the giver of everything else that we have, then it's his right to have it back. And Abraham recognized that as this test was going through. Faith rests on God's character, not on our circumstances. Number two, not only can we be assured that God will test us, But number two, we can be assured that God will use your life for something greater. Because I exist and I don't just exist for me. I exist for you. I exist for the world. And Abraham recognized that this isn't just his small little lower story, that there's something so much grander that's going on here. And it's proved in three different ways. Number one, it's proved by Abraham's faith. As we talk about the inward and focus on the inward, the heart for a second, think about Abraham's faith. Verse three, it says this. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Don't you think that if Abraham knew he was going to be sacrificing his son, he would want to cherish and value every last moment, right? Sarah, could you make us that special breakfast? And let's just relax this morning. And let's just one last time, you know, kick around the what they kicked around back then, soccer ball or something, like enjoying every moment. Nope, 
early in the morning, he got up. All right, I trust God. I trust his character. I know that he's going to use this for something great. Let's go. Saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Verse four, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on his son, Isaac. And so he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I. Same phrase again. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Verse eight, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. So they both went on together. When you talk about Abraham's faith, you see that not only did they get up early in the morning, not only did he say to the young men that were with him, we will be back. But he said to his son, that's all right. God's going to provide. Let's keep going. Let's keep heading forward with this. I trust in his character. It's, it's a covenant that's based on who he is, not who I am. So I trust that. Let's go. He was willing to go so far as to take and raise the knife to kill his own son. And it's almost as if God is saying, how much do you trust me? How far are you going to take this? And Abraham with his heart was saying, I trust you and I'm going to take it as far as you want to go. What kind of faith is that? Well, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the curtain is kind of pulled open. And God reveals to us on the backside of it what kind of faith Abraham had. Here's what it says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offering be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. So Isaac was saying, I trust in you so much. If it comes to actually doing this act, man, I hope you're going to intervene. Man, I hope this is not going to happen. But if it does, I trust you so much. I believe you can even raise him up from the dead because I know what you said and I know who you are. And I trust in your character. Not only, number one, does it prove Abraham's faith, but second piece is that it illustrates God's provision. So not just Abraham with an inward focus, but now it's an upward focus on God's provision. Genesis chapter 22, verses 9 through 11, you see this story unfolding, and it's almost like the readers and us, when we read this, we're like, oh! But he raised his knife up literally, and at the very last moment, God intervened and said, do not lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you trust me. Do not lay a hand on him. God's provision at the last possible moment is something that you see all throughout scripture. You see a God who comes through at just the right time. Romans 5, verse 6, we see the New Testament version where it says, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The third piece that we see is that this foreshadowed God's plan. This is an 
outward focus foreshadowed God's plan to the world. I want you to check out this connection, this unbelievable connection, Abraham and Isaac to the story of Jesus. It says that it was a three day journey to go to the mountain. That number is significant. We notice that it said your son, your one and only son whom you love. And that rings true of John 3:16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. What about this? It mentions in, in uh, verse two to take him to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, 2,000 years before Jesus even lived is when all this happened with Abraham on Mount Moriah. Approximately a thousand years after this narrative with Abraham, David comes on the scene. He purchases a piece of land. Ironically, it was going to be given to him, but he says, how can I take for free something and sacrifice it to God? I have to pay for it. I want this to hurt. And it was on that very same piece of land that he built the temple, that his son Solomon built this incredible temple. Same piece of land. And then you fast forward another thousand years to Jesus. That same area, that same plot of land, those same ancient walls. And here's Jesus coming down into Jerusalem, the final week of his life, wrongly accused, arrested, and ultimately crucified. And where did they crucify him? Right outside of the city walls, right on that mountain called Calvary, the same spot, the same mountain, unbelievable. What about this? Genesis chapter 22, go back to verse six and take this in. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, as they went up the mountain together. So now you get this picture of here's Abraham with all this burnt wood. Isaac, I got to put all this on your back and you need to carry this up the mountain where you're going to be sacrificed. Does that ring a bell to anybody else? Well, Jesus had to carry his own cross on his way up to the mountain, his own wooden cross. And when God provided the ram for him, it says a ram, which is a male lamb that's got horns, obviously, and it was caught in the thicket. The Hebrew word there for thicket carries along the idea of a thorny uh, cluster of bushes. So now just imagine that this sacrifice that God provided is, is this animal, this ram is caught and there's caught by his crown of his head in a bunch of thorns. Abraham, at the end of this narrative, said, I will call this mountain, I will call our God Jehovah Jireh, which means my provider, the mountain of provision, because this is where God provided a sacrifice. 2,000 years later, we see the fruition of all of those hints and all of those shadows in who Jesus was. He was the only begotten son of God in John chapter one, verse 29, John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And in John chapter eight, this blew my mind. I'd never read this or heard of this before my study this week. When John, in John chapter eight, as Jesus is interacting with Jewish people, people that are part of the nation of Israel, and he's explaining to them that he is the Messiah. He's what all this was pointing towards. Going back and forth with them, he makes this statement in John chapter eight, verse 56. Here's what Jesus says. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews say, well, what are you talking about? How could you and Abraham interact? You're not even 50 years old yet. That was 2000 years ago. We know our history. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I've spent time with Abraham, your father, Abraham. Everything that we talked about over there, he was rejoicing when my day came. Think about that. Think about Abraham as a saint up there with Jesus, now seeing the grand upper story, seeing the whole thing unfolding. And now Jesus was being born and Abraham's up there. This is what it was all for. There's something so much bigger than just my frustration and my sorrow and my fear in bringing up my son uh, Isaac to sacrifice him. This is what it was for. The day is here. I'm rejoicing in this. And you can just imagine as Jesus was there with his cross going up the mountain, Abraham's like, I know that mountain. And my son did that too. Jesus brings into the picture a transcendence that says, I'm the thread that this was for. And truly on this mountain of provision, we saw an unbelievable illustration of the grandest love that's ever been known to man in his son, Jesus Christ. So what does that mean to us this, this, this morning? What is our application? Three questions that I want you to wrestle with and react to as we close. Number one, are we willing to be tested? Over and over and over, Abraham said, here I am, here I am, here I am. And you see that thread everywhere, right? We saw that in Noah, he walked with God. We saw that in, uh, um, you know, we saw that in Genesis with Adam and Eve. They were there in the presence of God. Here's Abraham saying, here I am, I'm present with you, God. What, what would you have your servant do? Are we willing to be tested in that way as well? Are we willing to say, here I am? A sacrifice by definition is not something that costs you little. It is something that costs you tremendously. How many here have been guilty of our sacrifices to God being something that cost us so very little? Oh man, but I come every week and I haven't missed a Sunday in two months and I've given an hour of my time in a week to be here with God's people. Maybe you even serve two hours or maybe you give 10% of your income. Those are all awesome, incredible things. But when we talk about sacrifice and what belongs to God, are these truly things that are costing you tremendously? Are you willing to put that faith on the line? Because trust shows love and love shows trust. Second one, do we trust God's character more than we trust our circumstance? Our God is a very impressive track record of coming through for his people. Are we willing to put that 
into action. Number three, are we willing to make our life's goal be to point to something greater? So many of our life's goals are like, no, point at me, look at me, look at me, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished, look what I can do. Are we willing to say, as Abraham did, hey, this isn't for me. God, you want to use this? You want to explode this to be an illustration for all time? That's okay. Like John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. Are we willing to have that same kind of faith that says my life is meant for something bigger than me? It's our prayer this morning that God would use this story to just truly impact us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together as we prepare to close with two songs about the blood of Christ and about the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And this morning, I just want to draw our attention to the fact that on that hill called Calvary, the same mountain that's called where God provides Jehovah Jireh. God provided the ultimate sacrifice in the place of us. And maybe you're here this morning and man, maybe you believe in God and you've been coming for a while. You're not sure what you think about it, but man, maybe you've never taken that opportunity that says, man, could it really be true that God paid all the price for all of my sin, that he provided that through his son Jesus on the mountain Calvary to bring me new life and innocence and freedom? And man, if you've never really pondered that, if you've never taken that step of confession and realization that says, God, I believe in you and I believe in your son, Jesus, and I'm trusting in that. Man, we want this morning to be the day where you do that. And when we're done singing, I'm going to be down here. Other pastors are going to be available. We'd love nothing more than to talk to you about that and pray with you about that. And maybe you're here this morning. You're like, man, my sacrifices have been really minimize this morning compared to what Abraham did. And God, I just want to afresh and anew say that God, everything I have, I don't really have. Everything I have is really yours. So if there's something that you want to take back, something you want to use, something you want to set into motion for your glory, I want to sacrifice that and it's yours, God. And I know that you know that, but I just want to say that and I just want to release and worship you with my life. I want that to be my sacrifice. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. But regardless, Father, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for this story. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And Lord, that his life and blood sets us free this morning. Pray that you would be pleased with our worship as we sing out this great truth as a church, as a community, as a family. God, I pray that you would continue to work.